0: Can I get a real big good morning real quick? Hey, that's pretty good. I know that's going to be better than the second service. This is actually really weird, me being like right back up here after I sing. So I just want you to know I don't really like enjoy the spotlight. But it just so happened to work out we're doing something a little bit different and special this morning. So we're glad that you're here. But I know what you're thinking. I can read your mind. That is the best Pastor Farrell has ever looked in front of that pulpit, isn't it? We walked, it was funny, we passed each other in the hallway and I, we looked and we were wearing like the same shoes almost, the same jeans, the same shirt, we had the little, thing. was like wow, you watched me get ready this morning, that's a little scary, but um, thank you so much. We, uh, so we were sitting there talking and um, we just got a lot of stuff, cool things coming up and um so we want to share that with you this morning. Uh, we're starting this new series over the next couple of weeks. It's called The Big I, and many of you have been wondering and asking what the big I is. Uh, I've even talked to some of you, and you said, let me guess, it's about selfishness. And I was like, nope. It's about, it has something to do with marriage or relationships, you know, the I. And I'm like, nope, 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 that's not it either. We're going to tell you this morning what the big I is, and you have some packets in your seats and um, So, we're going to be going through that a little bit, but it's something we feel like God has placed uh, on the heart of our staff in this church. And um, it's more than just a sermon series, it's more than just a title, it's more than a way to uh, try to draw suspicion about, you know, like what are they doing, what's going on now. It's an initiative, it's a culture change for what we believe is going to happen in the heart of our church. It's a movement to see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, because that's what we're all about. Now, I was going to get up here and first thing, kind of talk about what the vision of our church is, but then I was like, you know what, I think it would be better for me to start off talking about what the vision that God has for His church is. Would you agree? Because I think that a lot of times we, little, if I could say probably like, I'm not going to name any denominations because it would be like all over the board. But there's so many churches and you could probably identify as well. I feel like we complicate it. I feel like we complicate what the vision has for his church is. And I, th- I would even go as far as to say that, you know, maybe throughout the history of our church that we've done some things that we, you know, maybe really didn't know why we did it. But it just happened to work out that way. And maybe we complicated the vision that God had for the church. And we hear that word vision a lot, don't we? Especially if you work at a doctor's office or something like that. But you hear the word vision in business. You hear the word vision in church. But here's what we need to know and identify about vision. Everything that you see starts out or started out as a vision. Everything that you see, everything that you hear about, everything in the church, every every product all started out with a vision. A vision. I just want to kind of go through a couple of things and let's identify, you know, really what was going on with that vision when people came up with some of those things. You ready? The Snuggie. <laughs> right? I just picture some guy sitting on the, tr- on the couch. Man, it's freezing. This blanket just is not enough. If I just had a blanket that had armholes in it, that would be awesome. And so, the Snuggie was burst. You know, before... Um, those of you who know um, David Kirwan before he passed away, one of the funniest stories he shared with me was about his Snuggie. He said, man, Snuggies are dangerous. He said, you know, you, you'll be sitting in the chair. He said, I can't tell you how many times this happened. I'll be sitting in the chair, and I've got that Snuggie, and they're huge. I got one of them, I guess, oversized Snuggies. And it covers not just the chair, but it covers the tables on the side of the chair, too. He said, man, you get up to go to the restroom or to the kitchen, man, you just take everything off the table. I mean, just cups, TV changes, remotes and everything. But that started with a vision, the car. I mean, you think about Henry Ford and all the people b- before him and, and after him, just to see the car better, to be able to transport from one place to the another. That was the vision that people had. There's got to be an easier way than just a horse and a buggy. Skinny jeans for guys, Not really sure what was going on, that vision kind of came to pass. The iPad, you know, just the transition. Phones started getting bigger and then they started getting smaller. And then the iPad got bigger and now it's getting smaller. and So it's kind of changed a little bit there. But the technology, I mean, it's always constantly changing. The light bulb, I mean, we think about that. Just a vision to be able to see, not have to use candles. Women, ready? Pinterest. Woo. It's the ESPN for women. <laughs> don't bother me, honey. I'm on Pinterest. You know, that's... But it started with this vision to be able to just... I don't really know. I, I think it's... I use my wife's account every now and then for some ideas on stuff. Now, you don't, don't judge me, okay? You know, I'll have to read about what the Bible says about judging. But uh, you, if you've seen that movie... or It's actually a TV show called Shark Tank. There's a TV show where people pitch their ideas about these products that they come up with. Everything starts with a what? A vision. But here's the thing about vision. Vision has a way of ignoring its critics and chasing its dreams regardless of how many people say it can't be done. So I want to just read a couple of things to you that I found, and they're, they're kind of famous predictions that underestimated the inc- incredible power of vision. Thomas Watson, who was the chairman of IBM, in 1943, he said this. I think that there is a market for maybe five computers in the world. How many of you own a computer in some form? Probably most of you because you have thermostats in your house that have computers in them and so forth. Ken Olson, the president and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, said in 1977, there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. Consider this Western Union memo in 1876. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. How many of you own a phone? or consider the words of the decca recording company when they turned down the signing of the beatles in 1962 we don't like their sound and guitar music is on its way out <laughs> charles duell commissioner of the us office of patents said in 1899 everything that has been inven- or everything that can be invented has been invented People didn't understand visions and ideas that people had for products, services, and all sorts of things. Everything started with a vision, and the church was no exception. The vision that God had to see his people learn about his son and to flourish and be better. Now think about how church, maybe you've been to that church that sometimes are birthed. Sometimes they're birthed out of church. We call them splits. They're they're birthed out of, I can do that better. And there's a lot of churches and everybody goes, there's enough churches. And I don't know if this statistic is true. I've heard a lot of people say it, but I I would believe, I'm not going to say that the accurate number is true, but I believe the principle is true. That if every person, even in Goldsboro, got up on a Sunday morning and decided they were going to attend church, there wouldn't be enough seats for the people that came. So when people say there's enough churches, you know, I'm going to just have to kind of back out on that one and say, you know, I don't know if I agree with that, but here's what I, I do know that a lot of churches were even birthed out of a church split or an idea to say, you know what we can do that different we can do it better we can make the music longer the message more powerful we can t- I don't like the way that you know people take up communion I don't like the version of the Bible they use I't you know the list kind of goes on and on so that this vision Oh, we can do church a little bit different, but it's really not about how we do church it's really about how God sees the church and how it should function and flourish so we're going to talk a little bit about the church this morning and what God had in mind. And when we look at the book of Acts, we can see kind of the beginning of what the church looked like. So I want to just kind of set the little bit of ground rules, and maybe you can agree with me. Have you ever been to, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can just nod or whatever if you're comfortable with that. Maybe you've been to a church where you felt like that the only people that could go to that church are people that were perfect, perfect people. I would would agree that there's some churches out there that, you know, it's uh, it's for, they feel like you have to be perfect to fit in. We say this all the time, it's a, a country club for Christians. Or if you didn't have it all together, you really weren't accepted. But you know what? Everything I read in the Bible tells a completely different story. All we have to look at is the way that Jesus lived. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And this is going to give us a, a picture of how Jesus operated. And really, it's kind of a gut check for all of us as individual and as a church. And I just got to say, if I didn't love my church, I wouldn't be having a shirt that said I love my church. Y'all like this shirt? It's pretty good, right? Got the bridge on the back. How would y'all like to be able to purchase a shirt that says like this? So I'm not going to reveal anything, but that could be a possibility. If you pay me enough money, I will tell you for sure. (laughs) So Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it's the parable of the lost sheep. And we're not even going to go through the whole parable. I just want to look at a couple of key verses that talk about such a powerful part and how Jesus operated. It says this in Luke 15. It says in verse, I believe it's, yeah, verse 1, now the tax collectors... And the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Think about that. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, when you you look back and you study the tax collectors and you know what that was viewed as, I mean, they were like the lowest of lows. They're ripping people off, they're cheating people, and it's like, man. He's hanging around with the tax collectors and the sinners. But what's intriguing to me about this is they're sitting and they want to hear Jesus. That is so unique. It's so mind-blowing that they they care. They're hearing his every word. I could say that myself included and many Christians, we miss it. Because it's like, we don't need to be around the sinners. We don't need to be around those people that aren't, you know, saved. But here we see Jesus there sitting and listening to his every word. And then it goes on to say, which is even more unique in verse two, he says, "But the Pharisees, the religious people, and the teachers of the law, and they said the word is muttered says, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." And so they're scoffing, they're looking at him like, "What is he doing? What's up with this guy?" He's attracting the wrong people. You know, we're the the religious people. We're the, the Christians of the day. How come they like him so much? They didn't like it. Which goes to show the character of Jesus that what he had, the characteristics that he displayed, the people who were not religious liked. I wrote this down. It says, even though they were nothing like him, they liked him. Even though they were nothing like him, they liked him. So the, I'll just kind of paraphrase the rest of the parable. It goes on, he talks about how, you know, you leave the 99 sheep to go find the one. And after you find the one, you rejoice and you celebrate because you found the one. And he's talking about how people who come to Christ, He says it's it's more important for us to leave, to to reach out to that person who doesn't know the Father than it is to stick around with all the people who are, quote unquote, saved. He goes on to say, do you know how much more the angels and and my Father in heaven rejoice over the one who comes to know me than of the 99? What's interesting is this. How many of y'all have ever lost something? All right, come on. Y'all are not being honest in church this morning. There we go. I lose my keys at least three times a day, okay? Which would you be surprising because they weigh about four pounds. But I'm really bad at misplacing stuff. So we've all lost something along the lines, whether it's, you know, your car in the parking lot. I've never done that. Maybe you've gotten lost. Maybe you've just misplaced women. I know pocketbooks or you know, just one of those things that probably, you know, you lose... But what's interesting is when you lose something, you forget about everything else to find the one thing, right? Let's play a hypothetical. All right, say I have uh, 100, this would be really good, $120 bills. I'm not going to ask you what that is because I know some of y'all aren't good at math. But $120 bills, if you lose one $20 bill and you have the other 99 sitting on the dresser, what do you do? You go and look for the one you lost. Isn't it funny? We put everything outside. We forget about, we got 99 other ones sitting on the dresser because we want to go and find the one. Everything else we forget about, and that takes precedence. You lose a pair of shoes, ladies. I was expecting a chuckle by the men there, but it didn't happen. Okay, I have to rephrase that one for second service. You lose a pair of shoes, ladies, and you got a whole closet full or back of the door full. You forget about all those that are there to go find the one pair that's missing. And that's what Jesus is telling here. He's talking about how much more important it is for the one. So Jesus was more concerned with the lost than he was the found. He was more concerned with the unchurched than the church. He was more concerned with the non-believer than the believer. And if we want proof, all we have to do is look to Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to paraphrase kind of what takes place here in verse 29 through 32. And it says that Jesus is is with his disciples. The disciples go to the the home of Simon and Andrew. You may remember this story. And so they're there and Simon's mom is in bed with a fever. And so Jesus comes. And they tell Jesus and he goes to her and he takes her hand. The Bible says that he helps her up. And she's healed, which is always good to have Jesus around when you're sick. Amen? And then it says this, which is, I mean, we could kind of go a long way into detail here. But it says, after sunset, that the people brought all the sick and the demon possessed to him after that. Think about that. Sun goes down, and all the crazy people come out. Just trying to get some sleep. Boom, 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 boom. Beating on the door. It's good thing Jesus is here. You know, he can take care of them. So, the sun goes down and all the people. Now, this is going to paint an awesome picture of how Jesus operated. Verse 33, let's read. We're going to just kind of read this together. It says, The whole town gathered at the door. Now, I see two or three people come to my door. I get a little bit nervous. But you're talking about the whole town is gathered at the door. They've heard about what's happened. They've heard about what Jesus has been doing. Now more people that need him could be crazies. We don't know. Come and they want to just meet the master. They want to see the Savior. Verse 34, it says, And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And that's a whole other sermon in itself. But we see this picture of them at the door. They want to meet Jesus. They want to see Jesus. What is it that's so attractional about him? Now, we don't know if he was like, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. If he just went, y'all are healed. Or if he did a blind Bartimaeus where he took the mud. and It doesn't say. It just says that many people were healed in that time and in that counter with Jesus now, if you're a disciple, you're loving this. You're around him. You're you're popular. Everybody wants to be around you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever been a part of a winning team? I have not. But some of y'all have, you know, to be on the state championship team or conference champions and everybody's high-fiving you there, congratulate you. They want to be around you. They want to hug you, you know. And and the disciples get to be around Jesus. They're just like, man, this is awesome. This, I mean, the people love us. They love you, Jesus. They're excited. You know, some of them we can even see later on if you read, I believe it's in Luke, where James and John are like, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can we sit on your right and left? We want to be like your number two and your number three, guys. You know, it was all about That for them at some points, which goes to show that they were human. But in this case, everybody wanted to be around Jesus, the whole town. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had all the people at Princeton or all the people at Goldsboro at my door. So obviously we're not that popular, but Jesus was, is what we're trying to see. But here's what's interesting to know. That despite all of the, you could say, fame of the day, all the attention, Jesus didn't really care about that. And when we read the next few verses, we see exactly how he was like. Verse 35 says this Very early in the morning, so after all the people had left, they're gone, maybe. That was a long night, you know, a lot of people we had to take, a lot of people we had to heal. While it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We see this, you know, Jesus wasn't complacent. He didn't rely on what happened in the past. I mean, he got up early, he was praying, he was talking with his father. And it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. So we don't know if he, they got up, you know, how much later than Jesus did. But a little while afterwards, they come to find him. And it says, and when they found him, they exclaimed, with exclamation points, everyone is looking for you. They're back. Everybody wants to see you again. Now, when I see the exclamation point, it just kind of, for me, is emphasis go is to show, you know, there's a little bit of pfft there. Like, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing? Where have you been? All the people are over here. All the people you've touched. All the people you've ministered to. They're over here. We need you, Jesus. And could you imagine coming to say that? And then Jesus responds with this. Let us go somewhere else. (laughs) It's like, everyone wants you, Jesus. Hey, they're over here. Come on. He's like, let's go somewhere else. Wait, but we have the whole town, Jesus. You remember last night? He's like, yeah, I remember. We have the whole town. He's like, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village's so I can preach there also. And then he says this, that is why I have come. All these people have encountered me, I've touched, we've ministered to them. They've heard the words, he's like, It's not about becoming complacent of where you're at. There's so many more people that need to hear my words. There's so many more people that need to hear the message. There's so many more people that I need to touch. I can't just focus on all these that I've already come in contact with. I've got to go. He could have stayed right there. He could have been complacent with the whole town. The disciples were enjoying the attention. They were happy. But Jesus' vision went far beyond Galilee, went far beyond Capernaum. Now for us as a church, we could look back and, and celebrate and become complacent and satisfied with that we had record attendance, I think, two weeks ago. All right, that's enough. Enough people. How many times have y'all heard that? Churches are too big, got too many people. I mean, I look around, there's plenty of more seats in here this morning. We could look around and go, we had a record attendance. That's the most we ever had. Let's just, all right, let's put everything on hold. Let's freeze. That's big enough. Don't need to get any bigger. But you know what? That's not our vision. And that wasn't Jesus' vision. There was more people he needed to come in contact with. Jesus knew his time was short. And there were more people that needed to hear his message. And so as a staff, we were just praying. And we get together and pray every Wednesday and every Tuesday we have staff meeting and we cast vision, Pastor Farrell talks about the things that he'd like to see us as a church to do better. And we do some awesome things. I mean, outreach seems like it's doing something every week and our missions board and many of you are in small groups and you're serving and there's so many things we could just go, "Stop. That's enough." We've touched enough people. We're given so much time. We're like almost four times a week that we're going to the prisons or we're going to the soup kitchen. I mean, four times a month, prisons and soup kitchens and so forth. That's enough. But our vision for this church goes far beyond that because there's so many more people that need to hear the message of Christ. Amen? So we began to think. We began to brainstorm. We began to pray. And we say, God, what can we do? to fulfill the vision that you have for your church. And thus the series, The Big Eye, was kind of birthed. And so in your chairs, and if you don't have one, if you guys can kind of do this for me, if you see over uh, to your left or to your right, if there's an empty packet, if you could get that, if somebody doesn't have one, you just kind of pass it down. We have plenty. We want to encourage every person here to pick up a packet before you leave today. Even if you don't have one in your chair, there's plenty up here, and our ushers, they'll have enough for everybody before you go today. I want to talk about what we feel God has kind of placed on our heart. It's an invite initiative, and it's a call to our congregation to reach out to the unchurched. Now, that's what I want to focus on. We're not talking about sheep stealing. We're talking about those that don't know Christ don't have a church home. It's a movement for us to introduce more people to Jesus than ever before. It's a catalyst to bring the unchurched to hear the gospel message. We believe that God is calling us to walk this out and to focus on the lost. We believe God is calling us as individuals and as a church to a new level of boldness and courage to get outside of our comfort zone and to invite people to church. And so here's what we've done. We've strategically looked at our calendar for February and March, and we've given you that calendar in a document form that you can go home and look through more thoroughly. And I'm going to just kind of talk about some of the highlights here and what the goal is through the big I or the I standing for invite. So we looked at the calendar, and here's what we came up with we said, we want to do this as a church, we want everybody in this thing together. Everybody on the same page. So we said, we've got to empower our people. We've got to give them the tools that they need to fulfill this vision that that God has called us to. And so we picked out a couple of days, and many of you do this maybe on a weekly basis or monthly basis. But we do the Just Because cards. Maybe you've never used a Just Because card. We wanted to give every person in our congregation that comes to our doors four Just Because cards. And we've said, okay, here's what we want to do on February 20th, which is a Wednesday, and February 27th, which is the following Wednesday, we want to flood Goldsboro, Princeton, and wherever you're at, you may work in Raleigh or Clayton, who knows, with Just Because cards. We want to do a random act of kindness for someone. We said, okay, well, maybe people can't think of something to do, so we've given you a sheet of ideas of things that you could do whether it's paying for someone's gas, a meal, Starbucks. Just let me know when you're going and I'll be in the car behind you. <laughs> I think Pastor Farrell will too. And we want you to use two Just Because cards on Wednesday the 20th and two Just Because cards on Wednesday the 27th. And we're going to be telling you about it on Facebook and so forth through our text. But we want people to go, what's going on? As a church, I mean, the bridge, that's all I hear people say that, too. Man, I see bumper stickers. Everybody's talking about the bridge. And it ain't about us. We want to reach the unchurched people. And then what we've done is we've picked out days on your sheet that we're going to go as small groups. And we've talked about uh, maybe as ranger commanders, as missionette leaders, and so forth. You can form your own groups. But we've strategically picked out days on February the 23rd, which is Saturday. And March the 2nd was a Saturday to go out. We're going to put door hangers in just canvas neighborhoods and just hang door hangers. May take you 30 minutes, may take you an hour. Great way to build community as as friends, as your small group, you can do it. And if you can't do it on those days, we just encourage you to do it. May not work out that you can do it on that Saturday. That's fine. We just encourage you that we want to do it. We want you to give away four, and they're big if you take them out big invite cards to somebody. It can be a random person. It could be your neighbor, the person that you've meaning to talk to about church. You just don't know how to do it. Here's your way just to go up and say, hey man, I'd love for you to come check this out. If you can, month of March, we're doing this awesome series. Here's your invite. Just hand it to them. It could be your coworker that works beside you. You've just been meaning to invite them. I believe there, there's, as I'm talking, there's people here that, you know, God's placed people on your heart. And so we want to do that together. We've created information and training videos for you that you can go on our website. There's a resource link at the bottom where Pastor Farrell has given some instructions to us as a congregation and instructions to us as small groups that we hope you'll go on and watch and just hear kind of what we're doing. And we're trying to do this to get everybody here for the One Month to Live sermon series that starts in March and one month to live series, I believe, is going to be the, one of the most powerful series that we've ever done in the history of our church. We've been praying about it. We've got some, uh, some testimonies that are just going to be amazing, plan of people who probably didn't even have and were told one month to live. And the, really the question is, how would you live your life differently as a husband, as a wife, as a family, as a dad, as a mom, if you knew you were given just one month to live? We believe this could be so powerful, especially for those who don't know Christ. We're, there's gonna, you're going to see Billboard in Goldsboro that's going to go up. We have a website that's going to be launched It's going to be creating a lot of buzz because we want to reach as many people as we possibly can because we believe it's going to be so powerful in the series, One Month to Live, that starts in March. So we've given you what we feel like is adequate tools and and information and videos. But all the tools in the world don't mean anything if you don't use them. I mean, I've got a, a garage full of tools, and if I don't use them, then it's pointless. And so we want us to rally together because... We believe that more people can come to Christ in this series. That means more people being baptized. That means more husbands and wife leading godly households. It means more people serving the church in an outreach. Because we want to fulfill the vision that God had for and has for his church. And I want to read this short verse in Matthew 28. And it gives us kind of a, a commission. Jesus given to his disciples And he says this in in verse 19. He says, therefore, what's the next word? Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is weird because I just realized every time I say that, I do this, baptizing them. And I mean, that's not a bad thing. I just guess you get used to it after saying it long enough. And he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we see the word disciple. It's one who assists in spreading the doctrines of another. He says, go, not sit. He says, go, not stay. He says, go, not wait. Go, go, go. And that's what he did as just like we read in Mark. And he's telling his disciples, it's time for you to go and tell people about me. But why is this so important? I mean, really, what's the big deal? Why should I be so concerned about the loss? I and mean, what's, the, what's the benefits for me or for us? Can I really make a difference? All we have to do to see the power of inviting someone to meet Jesus is to look at the life of Peter and ask this question. What if Andrew would have never invited Peter to meet Jesus?
1: So here I am in this time prison. I'm in a Roman jail because I told the people there was another king greater than Caesar. And his name Is Jesus so they arrested me and now I'm in the last days of my life don't tell anyone but I've led several of the guards to Jesus they've accepted the Lord into their heart one of them came to me this morning with tears in his eyes and he said Simon Peter I just heard that in about 30 days you'll be executed. And he was weeping and he was hugging me. I said, don't worry. Don't worry, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet the Lord. You see, it was Paul who said, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And I comforted him. How did it it begin? I mean, you know, how how did I end up in jail? Well, I just got to tell you that you know, it all started one day, I'm on the shores of Galilee, I, I'm, I, I don't know who Jesus is, but I, I'm there, I'm a fisherman, I, I loved fishing, wasn't very good at it, but I, I loved it, and, and I uh, was mending my nets and minding my own business, and my brother Andrew comes along, all excited, Andrew's always all excited about something. I remember that time a guy came through town selling 12 goats for the price of two. And Andrew's just all excited, and then we get down there and find out it's two goats for the price of two, and he'll bring the other ten a year later. Andrew's always excited. He, he just goes overboard. And so he comes up to me, and I, I hadn't had a good day. I hadn't caught many fish. I was in a foul mood. And back then, before I knew Jesus, when I was in a foul mood, I also had a foul mouth. And He said, he said Simon, Simon. You've got to come hear this preacher. And I thought, oh, Lord, a preacher. Now it's a preacher. And I said, what about him, Andrew? What about about this preacher? He said, his name's Jesus. I said, man, I know 20 people named Jesus. Which Jesus? And then he did go off the deep end. He said, it's Jesus the Christ. And I went, oh, boy. He's got a Messiah now, some Jesus claiming to be Messiah. But I loved my brother. I I loved him. You know, Andrew and I are so different. I was that gruff fisherman, and Andrew was always the the one who um, was just sensitive toward people, and he was always reading the Bible, he was always praying. It seemed like he was always on a journey to find God. He wanted to find God. He would read what the old prophets wrote. He would read about Abraham. I didn't have time for all that. I had to make a living. Somebody's got to work and make a living in this family. But there was something about the way he wanted me to come with him that I thought, well, I'll go. I'll go hear this preacher. So I got up and kind of just dusted myself off and went, okay, Andrew, where is he? Where is he? I'll accept your invitation to meet this Jesus. And I remember how he was pulling on my sleeve. He was about to pull me down. I stumbled a couple of times. We walked down the shore a ways, and, and I could see the back of the man, but I couldn't see the front of him. He was, he was not addressing a large crowd. He was talking to a man and his wife and some children. It, it appeared that he was just answering some questions and I remember how we came up behind him, and Simon waited until Jesus had finished talking to this family. And then Simon said, Jesus, Jesus, I brought my brother. I, I found my brother, I, and I invited him to meet you. And so I'm standing there and go, Man, can we just get this over with? Let me meet this preacher and get back to work. And when Jesus turned and looked at me, I saw eyes that were not looking at me. I saw eyes that were looking inside of me. I don't know how to explain it, but I'd never seen eyes like these. I knew that he knew me. No, no, I don't mean he had met me before. I knew that he knew me. He knew what kind of man I was. He smiled with a smile I'd never seen on any human being before. And he reached out and grabbed my hand. And he said, Simon. Well, nobody had ever spoken my name like that before. And I felt like he knew what it meant. Because the name Simon means reed blowing in the wind. It's the name you would give an unstable man. It's the name you would give a man who you couldn't count on. And He said my name with such conviction. He said my name in such a way that I I knew, he knew what it meant. And I looked down. I looked down. I felt ashamed. And that preacher reached up and put his hand under my chin and lifted my face up. And suddenly I realized that he did not see me for what I was, but he saw me for what I could be. I looked into the face of a man who believed in me. Now, there was no reason to believe in me. When it came to cursing, I was the best. When it came to telling lies, I was the best. When it came to drinking, I was the best. Everybody judged me. Everybody talked about me behind my back. Nobody believed in me. I was known as the lying, cursing, profane fisherman. Nobody trusted me. He looked at me. He said, your name is Simon. He said, but if you will follow me, if you will come with me, I will call you Peter. Your name will be Petra Rock. If you will give me your life, if you will follow me, if you will drop your nets today and follow me, I will will make you a fisher of men. I didn't know what all that meant, but I know I had never been spoken to like that before. My life was different from that moment on and I did what he said. I didn't understand him. I didn't know where he came from. I didn't know what he was going to tell me. I didn't know what I was going to see if I followed him. I didn't understand anything about him but there was something about the way he said it that made me leave my livelihood behind and follow him. I heard his teachings. And I saw his miracles. I remember there was a woman who was weeping, and she was in a funeral procession. And Jesus walked up to her and said, why are you weeping? And she said, because my son, my young son has died. And I remember how Jesus walked back there to the funeral there where they were pulling her son. And Jesus commanded him to rise, and he lived again. I was there. I saw it. I remember that day when a blind man, his name was Bartimaeus. We all knew Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus had not been able to see from his mother's womb. He had never seen. He didn't know what light was or darkness was. He didn't know what colors were. He had never seen a flower or a bird or a man. And Jesus was very popular at that time. And we were walking down the street, and this Bartimaeus cried out from an alley on the side and said, Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. And we told Jesus, we said, you can't stop. We have a busy schedule. We have have many things we must do today. You can't stop. And I remember how Jesus stopped us. And he walked away from the politicians. He walked away from the community leaders. He walked away from those who others wanted to be seen with. And Jesus put them secondary. And he walked down that alley. And He looked at blind Bartimaeus and he said your sight is restored and he was able to see. I was there. I saw it when the woman with the issue of blood pushed her way through the crowd and touched just the edge of his clothing. She didn't even make contact with him. She just touched his clothes and when she touched his clothes 12 years of suffering ended. I was there. I was there when Lazarus was in the tomb. Jesus showed up two days late. Mary and Martha were upset, and I remember how Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus told them to roll the stone away, and Mary and Martha objected, but Jesus insisted, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I remember that day how Lazarus came out of the grave and I remember how the crowds thronged Jesus as long as he was doing miracles. But then when he would teach, when he would tell them to love your neighbor as yourself, when he would say to them, love those who despitefully use you. When he would, he, he's told us one time, he said, if a man strikes you on one side of your face, turn and let him strike you on the other side of the face. I have to tell you, the people didn't like that. And they walked away. I mean, it was, it was like when he did miracles, they were there. They wanted to see the miracles, but, but then he walked away. They walked away when he, te- when he would teach the truth, when he would proclaim the word, when he would tell them how they needed to live. They didn't want to hear that. They only wanted the miracles. And I remember how Jesus looked at us. He said, will you also go away? He looked at his 12. He looked at his closest disciples. And he said, will you also go away? And and I have to tell you, I, I didn't always say the right thing. I often said the wrong thing. But I remember I looked at him that day and said, to whom? To whom shall we go? Only you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. On another occasion, Jesus asked us another question. He said, who do men say that I am? And the others began to answer and said, uh, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're Elijah, some great prophet raised from the dead. And Jesus looked at us and said, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? I looked at him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, Simon Barjona, son of John, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, and upon this Petra, upon this rock, I will build my church. But I have to tell you, that's when things begin to turn dark. Jesus came to us and said, I want you to go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane and I want you to pray with me. And I I remember how tired we were. We were just so exhausted. We had not had good sleep in several days, and I remember how Jesus began to pray. And as he started to pray, we we just fell asleep. Jesus stopped praying, and came, and he said, I need you to wake up. I need you, my disciples, my followers. I need you to wake up. I need you to pray with me, and we said, oh, we're sorry, Lord. We're just so exhausted. We're so tired, and and Jesus began to pray, and we began to pray, but after a while, we had dozed off again. We were asleep again, and Jesus woke us up again and we apologized and we were trying to stay awake, but we were so tired. Jesus said, can you not pray with me just one hour? And we, we couldn't. We knew something dark was about to happen. We knew something bad was coming. But we, we couldn't pray. We couldn't stay awake. And I remember we fell asleep the third time And Jesus came and looked at us sleeping. And he said, just sleep on. Just sleep on. And then we were awakened by by Roman soldiers as they came to arrest him. And I had promised Jesus, I had told him, if they come to arrest you, you can count on me. I'll be there. So when these soldiers came, I unsheathed my sword. And I cut one of the soldiers' ears off. And the other disciples were bragging about that and telling me that was a good thing. And I told him, no, I was going for his head, but I missed and got his ear. And Jesus reached down and picked up that Roman soldier's ear. I'll never forget it. And he put it back on his head and immediately it was as if it had never been severed, as if he, as if he had never been cut. And then they took Jesus away. And Jesus had told me before that, he said, Simon, he said, you're going to deny that you know me before the sun comes up in the morning. And I said, no way. There's no way I would ever deny you, Lord. These other disciples may turn on you, but you can count on me. But I remember how it came to pass. As I denied three times publicly that I even knew the Lord. And I went out into the into the forest and I wept bitterly. I remember how they beat him, how they beat the Lord Jesus and how they spit on him and how they pulled his beard out by the handfuls and how they tied his hands together and pulled him up on that post and how they beat him with the whip called the cat of nine tails. Most men died there and never made it to the cross, but Jesus did not die. Strips of flesh hung down from his body. Blood was everywhere. I'd never seen anything like it. And where was I? I'll tell you where I was. I was hiding. I was hiding. I mean, I was afraid they would do to me what they had done to him. And I remember when I denied him, the sun was coming up, I looked and he looked at me and I saw those same eyes I'd seen on the shore of Galilee. He knew what I'd done. They nailed him to a cross, they raised him up. He gave his life. and We didn't know what to do, we didn't know what to do. I mean, we, we had heard him talk about leaving us and we had heard him talk about dying, but but we thought it was just a type, a symbol. We, 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 couldn't, we couldn't believe he would really die, but he had died and he was gone and we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. But then someone came and said, He is risen. He is risen and and Jesus walks in. We are all, we are all, we uh, It's just beyond our ability to believe. We we couldn't believe it, but it was Jesus risen from the dead. And I remember 40 days later, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going back to heaven and, and I'll return again one day and I'll take you to go to be in heaven with me. But But he said, right now I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to send down upon you the power of the Holy Spirit. And we watched him as he ascended and the angel said, this same Jesus will return in like manner as you have seen him go away. So we look for that day. We look for that day every day when he will come back. And we went to the upper room and we prayed. He told 500 people to go there, but only 120 showed up that day. And we stayed there for 10 days praying and fasting and believing God. And suddenly a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire came down upon us. And we began to speak the languages of the people who were there who had not believed or heard the gospel. And they heard. And thousands of them came to Jesus that day. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. I was a different man after that day. I I had a boldness that I'd never had before. After that day, I could not even imagine myself denying Christ. I stood before crowds and proclaimed Jesus Christ. I stood before crowds after the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I proclaimed the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how I ended up in this prison. That's how I ended up here. I have 30 days to live. That's what the guard told me. I have 30 days. But that's okay. Because my brother Andrew insisted that I accept his invitation to meet Jesus. He invited me to meet someone he had met. He invited me to meet someone who had changed his life. And because of that invitation for my brother Andrew, when my 30 days is up, I'm ready to meet my God.
0: What if he would not have invited him? What if someone had not invited you? Maybe you're here at this church because somebody stepped out and asked you to come. And now your life has been radically transformed. You're a new person. Just like Simon became Peter. So here is our hope and our prayer as you will join and partner with us that you'll rise up. And I know there's many of you here, you're not the outspoken, comfortable person that just can talk to anyone, and that's okay. We're praying for courage and boldness for you, and we encourage you to pray and ask God, who is it, Lord, that you're causing me? Who is it you've placed in my path and in my life that I need to tell them about Jesus, that I can invite to the bridge. And maybe you're here right now and you're thinking, maybe you're just, God is speaking to you and it's a family member. Maybe it's a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a daughter or son who is kind of strayed away. God's speaking to you and saying, that's who you need to invite. Maybe it's your boss or your best friend. Maybe they've never asked Jesus into their heart. We all have people that God has strategically placed in our lives. That's his vision. That's the vision of the church. So never stop proclaiming the gospel. So here's what I want us to do. I want us all to stand together. And I want us just to all kind of walk down here. So just come and get as close as you can and then feel in the aisles if you can't get all the way down that's fine and I want us to pray together as a church and this ain't gonna be anything weird or or odd but I want us to not only pray for us but I want us to pray for others and so if you're okay with that, just you can reach over, just put your hand on the neighbor beside you, just on their shoulder, on their back. And I want us just to unite together because I believe, I'm telling you, I believe God is going to do some amazing stuff in the next few weeks as we lead up to this. Stories are going to be coming, pouring in, and there's a place that you can go online and share your story, how you used it Just Because card, how you know God did something awesome. But for some of you, this is going to be more difficult than others. And we just want to encourage you and say, we're here, we're doing this as a staff, we're doing this. We just want to pray for strength and the words to say and to speak. God's been speaking to me, who I need to just go and hand the invite card to. So I want us to pray together and ask God to give us that boldness, to give us that courage, and let His will be done. Remember, he said, I can't be satisfied with this crowd. I've been called over here because I have to continue to preach. There's more people that need to be reached and that's what we're about. So let's pray this together and you feel free, just, you know, whatever you feel God is kind of speaking to you. We just want to say, Lord, this is your church. It's not Pastor Farrell's church. It's not Jared Grantham's church. There's going to be many people that are going to come after us after us and replace our positions and somebody else will stand here and preach and someone else will stand here and they'll lead music but the vision of the church is still the same and that's to reach as many people as we possibly can and tell them about your son Jesus Christ and so God you've spoken to us and now we're answering the call and so I just pray right now for every person for today for next service, for Thursday, Saturday, the people who are going to be in here, God, that you would just give us courage, give us boldness, Lord, to say things, Lord, that are only from you, to put the right people in our path, God, and let us seize the moment. Don't let us back out. Or don't let us back down, but walk boldly and say, you know what? That invitation, we're planting seeds. That Just Because card is going to help somebody's day. We don't know what you're going to do, God. But we believe that when we model what your word says, that there's nothing, nothing that can stop us. And so, God, I pray right now for the person who, who needs to invite a family member I pray for that person who needs to invite a coworker or a boss and you'd give them the words to say. Maybe you hadn't talked to your, your family. Maybe you hadn't talked to your son and daughter And who knows how long. This is your chance to bring them to know and hear the words of Jesus. That's all you have to do. God said, if my word goes forth, and I'll take care of everything. He said, "If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to you, and that's what we're going to do. So Father, we pray that as a church, as a congregation. Let your will be done. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Everybody said together, Amen. Amen. So we hope that you'll do this with us. There's a website online. Uh, if you just go to bridgechurch.cc, you can find the link right there. It gives you all the information. We would love to answer any questions that you have. We'll be letting you know a little bit more next week and so forth. We have some other special things planned uh, for the next week.